again, thank you for being here. So how many of you shoveled your driveway before you came? One, two. Oh, man. So everybody else just drove over it. So it's going to be frozen later and you're going to chip it up. That's going to be great. Good. Good. Well, one of the things that, um, that makes meeting in a school special and unique is that not only do we come and serve one another and put in volunteer hours, there's a number of people that are here hours before many of you probably really even have your first cup of coffee getting things ready. This morning was one of those crazy mornings that, like I told you earlier, I, I, was, I really wrestled last night with whether or not we were going to cancel. If you're not familiar, we are one church that meets in two locations. We actually normally have a service in Parker before this one in Aurora. And so when Parker's done, then I travel up here for the one here. And last night we made the call to cancel the one in Parker, um, partly because for that campus, we have people that drive quite uh, quite far to get there, and so whereas most of us live in the neighborhood are very close, with the exception of Parker this morning, and we're really appreciative of you making that drive. And so I really wrestled with it, and there was probably about a 20-minute phase this morning where I thought I made a bad decision because everything here was going wrong this morning. I cannot explain it. The TVs, it took us literally almost an hour to get the TVs working. And we practically had to stand on one foot and pat our heads and rub our stomachs at the same time. It was the weirdest thing. Um, Billy was having some issues with sound and technical things. Our coffee pot was frozen solid. And so this is literally the first cup of coffee I've had, and it is so good. And I should have had about three or four by now. So it was just one of those mornings where everything was was missing the mark. And and it just was not going well. And, and I really started questioning, like, man, probably no one's even going to show up today anyways. And so, um, but I'm really thankful that you're here. And I think God's going to speak and do something in each of our lives. Um, because even despite when we face challenges and difficulties and trouble comes our way, God is still there and he still answers our calls to him to, to come and to help and to rescue us. And that's really the theme of what we're looking at. Today And so if you have your Bibles, what I'd like for you to do is to open up to Luke chapter 23. And it's going to be on the screen. If you want to use one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 55, 755, excuse me, not 55, 755 um, is where we're going to be the whole time today. I'm going to continue using this microphone. If you weren't here last week, I was pretty sick last weekend. Um, I actually feel great. So I'm feeling much better, but my voice is still a little shaky, so I'm going to hold on to this microphone. One, it enables us to do a better recording, and it saves my voice a little bit. I don't have to scream quite as much. So Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. We actually read this last week, but we're going to read it again just to set the stage for us today. Starting in verse 32, it says this, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, talking about Jesus. And They came to the place that is called the skull. (coughs) There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, 
save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so last week we really spent our focus looking at the response of Jesus. And we're going to do that today, but I want us to spend a little extra time looking at the statements made by these two criminals um, leading up to Jesus' response and really um, what they teach us, not just about these two men, because let's be honest, you and I don't care a whole lot about these two men. We don't know them. We've never met them. We don't know their names. Um, but rather, I think Luke included this um, dialogue in his gospel account and his recollection of the death of Christ because he wants us to compare ourselves to these two men. He wants us to look at these two men and, and place ourselves in their shoes and under, try to figure out which one do we look like and who is it that we want to be. And so we are going to look at these two individuals and their responses to who Jesus is and, and the trouble that they're currently facing and allow it to challenge us, to allow us to see ourselves and, and look at our own lives with a little bit of honesty this morning and humility uh, and really find out where we are and how we can be um, more in line with who Jesus wants us to be. So let's just jump back to the beginning of um, this, this dialogue. We'll start looking in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now this term Christ uh, is actually, if you'll jump back one, uh, Keith, sorry, I, I went backwards a little bit. Um, this first criminal references um, a name that we often associate with Jesus and says, are you not the Christ? Now, for you and I, sometimes we have a tendency to think Christ is actually Jesus' last name, but it's not. Christ is a title. Um, it was not a part of Jesus' birth name. Rather, it's a title that he has earned, that he was given by God, um, and one that comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, you see, we've talked about this a few times before. The Old Testament, meaning the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus, almost two-thirds of your Bible, was originally written in Hebrew, almost entirely, with a few little um, sections, very small in Aramaic. But, long before Jesus came, as the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire were growing in strength and in numbers and in influence, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. Um, and it actually became very, very popular. Um, sometimes if you read history, or if you like to read things about Christianity or about the Bible, you'll see it talked about in two ways. One, it's abbreviation LXX. That's the abbreviation for the Old Testament that was translated into Greek. Or it's also called the Septuagint. And at this time in history... When Christ is alive, the Septuagint, or the Greek version of the Old Testament, has been around 
um, for quite some time and was the most commonly used form of the Old Testament. Um, there, were, there were still people who used the Hebrew version, but it was quite rare. And so most people used the Greek version, and Christ is a significant word that comes out of that Old Testament translation because it literally means the anointed one. And so in the Old Testament, God made promises over and over and over that there was going to be a solution to the humanity problem. That that a solution to the sin problem that you and I all understand and have dealt with. The fact that people understood that life isn't as it's supposed to be. That there are troubles, that there are disappointments, that everything has a tendency to go wrong at the worst possible moment. And even those who don't feel as though they deserve um, bad treatment or rough circumstances. They often find themselves in the middle of it. And God made a promise that he was going to bring about a rescue plan. God made a promise that he was going to bring about a solution uh, to the sin problem that plagues your life and my life and everyone else's life. And that God was going to bring about a final um, sacrifice to make people right with God once again. And this solution was going to come in the form of the anointed one or the Christ. So when people referenced Jesus as being the Christ, it wasn't just a name. It wasn't a last name. It was a title, and it was a title that held a lot of meaning, saying that you're the anointed one. You're the solution we've been waiting for. You are the promised one that we've been looking for and we've heard about for so many generations. And so this first thief from the cross says, are you not the Christ? He wasn't saying, are you not Jesus? Isn't that your name? He's saying, aren't you the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, the one we've been waiting for? Aren't you the answer? Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. In this moment of trouble, this thief hanging from the cross just like Jesus in complete desperation because it's only a matter of time for his death to come. And what he starts thinking about is how to save himself and how to save his own skin. We don't really get a full picture of this thief and his personal beliefs. He might actually believe Jesus is is the Christ. He might actually believe Jesus is the King. But at this moment, that's, that's mere consequence to him. This thief is in a position that a lot of people find themselves in. Going around this world with their own set of goals and pleasures that they're seeking. But it's only in times of crisis and when trouble comes and when things don't go their way that they start looking for other solutions. You know, why not try God? What else do I have to lose? A lot of times people treat God as though He's he's like the the jack that you keep in the trunk of your car. It's dirty. It's unsightly. We keep it hidden until you really need it. And then it has a lot of value. And so just like when you and I are driving down our car, every day we get in our car and we don't think twice about the jack until we have a flat tire. And then we need it. 
Then we're praying, oh man, I hope it's in the trunk. I hope all the pieces are there because that's when we feel the need for it. But when we're done with it, once we've changed our tire, it gets folded back up and put back in the trunk. And A lot of people treat God that way. I know He's back there. I know in case of emergency I can call on Him and I hope He's there. But for the most part I won't think about Him and I'll just keep Him hidden in the back. Don't want to see Him. Don't need to think about Him. But when the time comes, when I really need it, that's when I'll reach out. You see, this this criminal, this first thief, he only saw Jesus as a power to be used to be rescued from the cross. But he never saw Him as a king to be followed. And in this moment, the thief starts railing at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you supposed to be some kind of answer? Aren't you supposed to be some kind of solution? If so, why don't you prove it by saving yourself and saving me? And then we're going to turn and we're going to look at, I want us to look at the response of the second thief. Clearly, I think we can all identify from, from the beginning that this is who Luke wants us to identify with. This is who Luke wants us to say, I want to be like him. I want to respond like he does. I want my heart and life to represent him. And, and, and I've got kind of six observations to make about this second thief. And, and we're going to take a look at some of the things that he says, beginning in verse 40. And the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? One of the hallmarks of this second thief was a fear of God. You see, the second thief understood that, that a pot can't take up arms against the potter and expect to come out victorious. He had a, a fear of God, realizing where he stood in relation to God and who the one with the real power and real authority and the real rights were. He understood the position he was in. And unlike the first thief who was like the ant who walks up to the base of Mount Everest demanding Mount Everest flatten itself so the ant can walk on and cross over, this thief understood his position. And he had a fear. In the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs begins by talking about how the beginning of wisdom, uh, or wisdom begins with the fear of God. But for you and I, that um, we need to enter into life, whether we're facing troubles today or not, with a fear of who God is in comparison to who we are and to have a right perspective. Number two, um, he says this, since you are under the same sentence <coughs> Of condemnation and he's talking to this other thief right now and and here's what's interesting about this second thief the second thief never got sucked in to the railing that everybody else was participating in i don't know if you were paying attention as we started out in verse 32 and we read all the way through verses 43 but but this first thief was not the only one to be throwing insults and ridicule at jesus the soldiers there were ridiculing him. The leaders, the religious leaders who were in charge of carrying this execution out on Jesus, 
were there mocking him and ridiculing him. The crowd there was there making this whole event basically a sports entertainment opportunity. We talked about this for a little bit last week, just stopped and thought about it. Sometimes there were, historically we know from from various documents that sometimes there were quite large crowds who would show up to watch watch a crucifixion. I want you just to stop and think for a minute about what kind of human beings go out to watch this for entertainment. The kind of people who would who would go on a weekend who have nothing better to do but to sit and yell obscenities and to throw rocks and to spit upon men and women being tortured and on death's doorstep. About what kind of environment was going on. The Romans didn't create a new cross every time they executed and crucified somebody those crosses were used over and over and over and they were always done in the same place and i can promise you this and we know from historical documents there were no janitors there cleaning up the place was disgusting it smelled there were terrible screams coming from the victims and people went out to watch this for entertainment? And these crowds are all screaming at Jesus and screaming at the other criminals. And then one of the criminals hanging from the cross starts getting involved. Yeah, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be something special? Why don't you stop this? Why don't you save yourself and save us? But this other thief didn't get sucked in. He didn't get sucked into what everyone else in the crowd was doing. He looked at the other criminal and said, don't you fear God? Because we're under the same sentence of condemnation. Trouble's going to come in your life. That's just a part of life. It's because our world is broken and sinful and fallen. Sometimes at no fault of your own, Sometimes at your own fault, sometimes at the fault of others. And you're going to have to be prepared to stand your ground when that happens. Because people around you will start railing at God. Really? If your God is so good, then why did this happen? Oh really, so if your God's so real and powerful... How would He ever allow this to take place? Why doesn't He step in and stop it? Why doesn't He just fix the problem? People around you will start railing. And you're going to have to be prepared to stand strong. Because with a healthy fear of God, you understand who you are and in what perspective your life is in in comparison to God and what He's doing in this world. Let's, Let's keep moving on. And the thief said this, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This this second thief was willing to admit that he was wrong. He was was there to admit that he was wrong and he wasn't going to try to save face anymore. But you know what? Some people, no matter how bad the situation gets, 
They never quit trying to save face. They never quit trying to make themselves appear innocent and cool. I know a man who lives in Arkansas right now uh, who is uh, in a lot of trouble. And he's being investigated by the FBI and the SEC um, for stealing. Um, sounds like what they're talking about. It's not all out and figured out yet. But somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 million. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And you know what? He's still fighting it. He's still trying to come up with a way to get out of it. It's obvious. I don't know him because he wasn't my investor, but unfortunately he was investing money on behalf of people that I do know and do care about who've lost everything. And the FBI's told him multiple times, if you don't want to die in prison, you need to work with us. We'll work with you. We'll help you. We're going to try to rectify this situation and see what can't be done. And he's refusing. He won't talk to him. He's, he's locked himself and his wife and his kids in his home. Won't let him leave. And he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Because despite all the trouble that's raining down on him, the FBI has a car that's sitting outside his door 24 hours a day. He won't stop. He's still fighting. He's still trying to save face and to deny it some people when they encounter trouble they won't stop fighting but at this point this thief the second thief has finally come to the place where he realizes i'm not there's no point in trying to save face what good is it going to do me and finally he admits that he was wrong here's number four and I changed the order. I know these are a little bit out of order in, in the English, but um, for good reason. <coughs> and we indeed justly, and then what we just read a minute, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And we indeed, no, you were right, Keith, sorry. I, I, I put them out of order on purpose. And we indeed justly, the second thief had finally come to accept his punishment. And this is the real test of, of humility. But you know what? There's a lot of people that will say the right thing until the trouble comes and gets heaped up on top of them. And when things get really bad, and when the trouble comes, all of a sudden, the humility's not there for some. Because deep, deep down, some people still feel as though they have some rights before God. That they deserve something different. That because they're better than somebody else, X, Y, and Z should never be happening to them. That they're above that. That if God was really loving, He couldn't do it. He couldn't allow it. It's not fair. This criminal had come to the place where he understood that not only was he wrong, but he had accepted his punishment. He looks at the other thief and says, and we indeed justly. Our punishment here on the cross is just. 
because we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. <coughs> and then notice what he says here towards the end. But this man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Number five, this guy acknowledged Jesus' innocence. You see, this first thief, he really just wanted Jesus to drive the getaway car. He just wanted Jesus to be there in the moment of need to save him and to get him out of trouble, but had no real intention or desire of, of anything else for Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want to be the getaway driver. Jesus wants to be followed because we admire Him. And this second thief understood the innocence of Jesus in comparison to his own place. And then here's um, the second thief's final words. Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Finally, this thief pleads for help. Now notice this. Both thieves were guilty. Both thieves were justly being punished. At least according to this system of retribution and punishment in the first century. Both thieves had been caught and both thieves wanted to be saved. Both of them wanted to be saved. But one saw Jesus just simply as as protection and insurance. I won't think about you until I need you. When things get really bad, I'll, I'll wait and expect for you to step in. This first thief wanted to be saved, but only for himself. He could care less about the other thief. He could care less about who Jesus is or what Jesus deserves. All he could think about is what he deserves. But the second thief approached it very differently. The second thief also wanted to be saved. But he understood the position he was in. And he understood who Jesus was. And he cried out for help, but in a very different way. Because he acknowledged that Jesus was king. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He understood that Jesus was a king. I don't know if you remember. We read this in verse 38. That was actually part of our scripture from last week. It says this, there was also an inscription over him, talking about Jesus. <coughs> this is the king of the Jews. And we find out in other places in scripture that it was actually inscribed in three different languages to ensure that everybody who walked by could read it. This was a form of mockery. As a matter of fact, the Jews got really upset when, when the Roman officials wrote out that line. They wanted him to change it. And they said, no, 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 no. Don't say he's the king. Say this man thought he was the king. 
This man said he was the king. And Pilate, the Roman governor who was in charge and oversaw all of this, said, no, what's written is written. So over the top of Jesus is a sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. And the second thief got it. Not that Jesus was a king, not just that Jesus was a king who had power to save himself, but that Jesus was a king worthy of being followed. And then we see Jesus' response. And here's what's interesting. Jesus says nothing to the first thief. No reply. We talked last week about (coughs) how painful it was to speak from a cross. That when you were hung on a cross, you died from asphyxiation because eventually your body got so tired and worn out that you couldn't pull yourself up to breathe. When you're hanging from your arms, all the pressure that's put on your upper body, you can't take a breath. So the only way to breathe while hanging from the cross is to pull yourself up by the nails and to push yourself up with your feet, which are also being, which have also been pierced to the cross. Eventually it becomes so painful and so exhausting you can't pull yourself up anymore and then you can't speak either. And so with both of these thieves talking to Jesus to the one he makes no response no retaliation but no comfort no condemnation but no encouragement but to the second thief to the second thief who understands who he is and where he is in relation to who Jesus is makes this plea Jesus, King Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, would you remember me? And despite the pain that it caused Christ to pull himself up, to take a breath, to speak a word, he does it. And he looks at this thief and he says, Truly I say to you that today you will be with me in paradise. How sweet were those words. There was no delay. There was no delay in Jesus' response and there was no delay in His fulfillment of these words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today will be the day. You'll never have to spend another day without hope. You'll never spend another day without purpose, without a king to follow. I think Jesus' response to you and I is the same. We have a choice to make in how we're going to approach our lives. Trouble's going to come. And we have a choice about how we're going to choose to see our lives and how we're going to respond to God. We can do like most of the world does. We'll keep God in your back pocket so in case of emergency you can access Him. But other than that, don't think about Him. Don't don't give him credit. Don't give him due. Just keep him hidden away until you really, really need him. Then you can pull him out and see if he'll work a magic trick for you. Get you out of your predicament. 
Or we can approach like the second thief who acknowledged who he was, that he was undeserving of any pardon, that he was receiving the due penalty of his sin, and acknowledging the innocence, yet the power of Jesus. And when we approach God in that manner, with the humble heart, with a perspective of what really matters and what we deserve, Jesus responds. Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings fulfillment. Jesus steps in to our lives. Over and over and over, the Bible makes promises that for those who will believe, for those who will humble themselves, for those who will cry out and confess Jesus to be King, that in that moment, you'll be saved. That despite you and I are under a curse for our sin, that He'll step in and deliver us. Not because we yell at Him or say some magic words, but because in our heart we acknowledge our guilt, His innocence. And we acknowledge Him as King. As a king worthy of being followed. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the words that we've read today and for your gracious, loving, kind response to this undeserving thief on the cross. A thief who was rightly being punished for his sin. Who was receiving what he deserved. Yet because of his humility, because of his willingness to acknowledge you and submit himself to you as king, you answered his cry for help. Jesus, would you do the same in our lives? All of us here today are sinful. All of us are undeserving of pardon and forgiveness. And all of us understand that you bore the cross unjustly. Undeserving. Jesus, we cry out to you as king would you save us would you be the real living king of our lives I want you to keep your eyes closed if you would for a moment and I want you to just where you are by yourself to to think through is Jesus the king of your life Not just is he a genie in a bottle set aside for emergencies. Is he the king of your life? And if not, will you make him the king of your life today? The Bible says that we do that by believing in him, by trusting him, and by crying out to him. 
There's not a magic formula or set of words. But it's an attitude of the heart, just like that second thief. Acknowledging who you are and that you're sinful and undeserving, but that Jesus is powerful and innocent. Crying out to Him for help. Being willing to follow Him as King in your life. If you haven't done that, would you do it today? There in your seat, would you cry out to Him? Would you pray to Him? Would you give Him your heart and your life this morning? Perhaps you're sitting in here and you've made Him King of your life, though sometimes our loyalties tend to waver. Some days are better than others. Let today be a renewal for you. A renewal that He'll be the King of your life today. Worthy of being followed and trusted. Powerful enough to save you. But not because we deserve it, but because of His goodness. Jesus, thank You for who You are. Thank You for offering grace and mercy to us that is beyond our abilities to understand or explain. Would You be the King of our lives? Would You lead us? Would You give us the courage to follow despite the crowds around us who may be railing against You? Help us to become the people, the men and the women that you've called and created us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. Would you continue to move and continue to speak in this place?